Welcome to the Lovable Podcast. I'm Kelly Flanagan, clinical psychologist and author of Lovable, embracing what is truest about you so you can truly embrace your life. In this podcast, I'm walking with you each week for one year through Lovable's companion book, the year of listening, loving, and living. This companion book is currently available nowhere else, so I hope you'll join us on this journey as together we recognize, reveal, and resurrect your truest, worthiest, most lovable self. Can't shake these lies, they keep running around in my head. But what if I saw me the way that you see me? What if I believed it was true? What if I traded this shame and self hatred for a chance at belief? Hey there, everybody. Welcome to episode seven of the Lovable Podcast. This week, we're going to be covering week six of Lovable's companion book. And week six is entitled Unbecoming Who You Are Not. The practice this week is going to include three powerful questions that I'm going to challenge you to spend a week answering. Before we get into all that, though, remember, we're recording these uh, podcasts on uh, Facebook Live every Wednesday morning at nine o'clock central time, or that's nine o'clock Chicago time. Um, and you can go to my Facebook page, uh, which is Dr. Kelly Flanagan. And uh, if you go to the, my Facebook page at nine o'clock, you'll be able to join in and either listen into the podcast uh, recording or contribute your own comments. You'll hear people engaging um, with me and us engaging with each other. So feel free to do that. Um, there will be the occasional week that we don't record. And if you're not already signed up for my weekly newsletter, that newsletter will let you know when those are so you don't show up at Facebook and uh, and feel like <laughs> you got left out. Um, and, uh, and so if you want to sign up for my newsletter, it's drkellyflanagan.com. That's drkellyflanagan.com. You'll see in the right sidebar there, there's a spot to sign up for my weekly newsletter. Uh, it's a, a good way to get some free stuff. You'll get a free copy of my ebook, The Marriage Manifesto, Turning Your World Upside Down. It's a challenge to live marriage rebelliously. Um, and, uh, and then you'll get a free sample of Lovable, uh, in case you haven't read Lovable already, uh, or if it's just, uh, some, it's a, essentially in a form that you could send to friends if you want to share a piece of Lovable with them. Um, and then, uh, you'll also get, I write a blog post every two weeks. You'll get that for free and then you'll get the, uh, the links to these podcasts as well. So a lot of good stuff there at drkellyflanagan.com. Sign up for the email list. We'd love to have you join our community. Um, now this is the first time you're hearing about lovable. You just, uh, ran across this episode out in the ether. Um, you are welcome to pick up a copy of lovable. Uh, it's available wherever books are sold. If you like paperbacks or digital or audio, you can get that. Um, let's see, I guess the best way to find out if you really want to check it out is to go either to Amazon or Goodreads and read some of the customer reviews there. There's about almost 300 of them and, uh, hear what people are saying about it. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can also go to lovablethebook.com. It's lovablethebook.com and you can find out more about it there. Uh, and it also has links uh, to various retailers where you can purchase it online. So, um, but if you've got a local bookstore and you can go talk to a human being and order it in person and, uh, wait three days or four or five days for it and then have them hand it to you, go do that. Um, support your local booksellers. Uh, let's see, anything else? Um, I think that's about it. We're going to get into this week's episode. Um, it was a blast. It went a direction that I did not expect it to go. Uh, we ended up 
um, answering, beginning to answer the three questions um, that I challenge you with this week by talking specifically about the challenges of introverts and, and, and extroverts in relationship, uh, which made it very practical. Um, and I think it put some meat on the bones of the questions. And, uh, and so invite you to, to listen in and, and get a sense of that. I think all of us, whether we're an extrovert or an introvert, can relate to having a loved one who is the other and trying to figure out how to navigate the boundaries of all that. So uh, feel free to, to jump in to this episode. Uh, here we go. Thanks for listening in. Hello, Facebook Live. Thanks for joining us to record the seventh episode of The Lovable Podcast in week six of the year of listening, loving, and living. This week's chapter is entitled, Unbecoming Who You Are Not. I love this week's reading and exercise because I think it gets at the heart of what we're doing here in the months of listening as we gradually begin to rediscover our true self and embrace our worthiness. It represents a fundamental shift in our way of thinking about who, how we become who we are, and then at the end of the podcast today, I'm going to ask you to spend a, a week, a whole week, answering three questions. And the answers to those questions are going to set you free to unbecome who you are not. Before we get into this week's content, though, I just wanted to take a moment and check in with you about last week's practice, which involved identifying one of the ways you search for a solution to your sense of worthiness in life, and then doing something concrete and tangible to let that search go. I'd be happy to hear your reactions to the practice, whether you tried it or not. Julie writes, letting go of self-help material has been surprising. It grew into letting go of other senses of obligation and inadequacy. Or am I on the wrong week from last week's double dose? <laughs> Julie, that's a great question. Yeah, so last week was um, identifying a search. Um, the week before, we had talked about a very specific way that we sort of engage in self-rejection and try to find worthiness outside of us in the form of self-help. So um, they very much fit together. Last week, we, we talked about them sort of building on, on uh, them. So letting go of self-help material has been surprising. It grew into letting go of other senses of obligation and inadequacy. Julie writes, anyway, there's something in there about coming to terms with gaps between intention and reality. Ooh. You know, when you say that, the thing that comes to mind is that so much of our shame is um, located in this gap between the ideal version of ourselves as we've sort of uh, formulated it to be or had it formulated for us uh, and the reality of who we are and uh, that to the extent to which we feel like we fall short of that ideal self, uh, we believe that we're not good enough uh, and, and we experience shame. So if if the practices um, are helping you to come to terms with that gap, um, that gap between ooh, who, I, who I'd like to be, who I want to be, and who I actually am, and the shame that we carry about that, then that's a really good thing because um, that shame is doing us no good. It's okay to acknowledge, well, this is who I am. I'd, I'd love to be this, um, and I'd love to act this way and do this all the time, but I fall short of that. It's okay to acknowledge that. Um, in fact, that's a form of grace to say, hey, uh, you're, you're falling short of who you want to be. But to feel shame about that gap um, is only adding another, another sense of uh, kind of like a hurdle or uh, um, something to overcome in order to begin to reconcile that gap. So um, I hope that is part of what's happening is that um, the gap between who who we believe we should be and who we are um, is not a gap in which we're experiencing shame, but an opportunity for growth. Diana writes, after much reflection, it seems I've been searching for love and belonging from people who are emotionally unavailable rather than finding it in myself. Diana, what a powerful, 
powerful revelation that we are trying to get something from people who are unable to, unwilling to, to give us the thing that we want. Um, whether it's love, whether it's affection, whether it's approval, um, you know, you're, you're getting, there's, there's so much overlap in these tasks of embracing our worthiness, finding belonging and discovering our purpose, right? As we talk about them in lovable and, uh, and you're getting a, a particularly sometimes painful piece of finding belonging as well, which is recognizing that the people I've been trying to find a sense of belonging with, um, aren't capable of giving it They're um, for whatever reason, whether, uh, they're just unable to uh, see the worthiness in me and reflect it back to me, uh, or whether they don't want to for some reason, uh, whether there's too much history there. So a big part of finding belonging, ironically, is letting go of the people who we, we aren't going to belong to um, because they are unwilling or incapable of embracing who we are. So that can be a very painful process, um, but it sounds like to me, Diana, you're already getting into it, and, and it will serve you well if you're willing to enter into that process of discerning. Deb writes, I was holding on to feelings of rejection from a close friend. Every time I looked at my reflection, I would see what my friend didn't accept. Wow, Deb, that is so powerful. Um, looking at yourself through the eyes of another, but the eyes of that other are um, critical and rejecting and unaccepting. Um, yeah, Deb, that, that's when we reach a point of having to ask really hard questions about relationships. In fact, this is in Lovable. This is the only point in the book, I think, where I say it stop, go find wise counsel, um, help find someone who can sort of talk you through the process of discerning what to do with these relationships and how to do it. Uh, cause it can be such a, a difficult, complicated thing. So Deb, uh, Deb, thank you for sharing that, uh, so vulnerably. Heather writes, I have to admit, I wasn't quite ready to do this one yet, but getting there started the writing, but haven't finished. Heather, thank you for that. Um, because we all need someone to to admit that. <laughs> uh, we all need someone to say, mm, "This this exercise, I wasn't quite there, wasn't quite ready." Um, and uh, and again, these these weeks they build on each other, but they don't have to build at a particular pace, right? Um, if you need to double back to a week later to complete the exercise, uh, if you need to skip a week and say, "Okay." I, I feel like I, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass on this week and move on to next week. We don't need to be legalistic or rigid about this. So um, Heather, thanks for that sort of permission for all of us to just engage with these exercises flexibly and at a pace that works for us. Deb F writes, no more self-help books to fix me. I love to learn, so that's the direction for me down the road. Right now, I will just be. It, boy, it sounds like with um, with this crowd, the um, the suggestion to to press pause on the self-help um, culture has really, um, been meaningful. So, uh, thank you for that. Uh, I guess, uh, so yeah, thanks for, thanks for that affirmation of how important that is, um, that we do not want to turn this into yet another form of self-help. Um, but we want to turn it into an opportunity to begin to let go of that self-help mentality. And instead, as you said, Deb, um, to just be and to just be who you are. Thank you. Deb W writes, letting go of that rejection and seeing myself as lovable instead, focusing on that word. So when your friend looks at you or you look at yourself through your friend's eyes and you sense that sense of lack of acceptance, judgment, critique, uh, whatever, 
to be able to focus on that word again, lovable, and let that sink from your head down to your heart as the truth about who you are, not your friend's opinion, your friend's perspective on you. Um, I think that's a beautiful thing, Deb, and I'd encourage you to keep doing it. It'll be a game changer. It's really cool. Brenda writes, I didn't do it either, but it would probably be being willing to stop pushing to give my daughter more opportunities than she's asking for. Oh, wow, Deb, or Brenda, rather. Holy cow. Um, You didn't do the activity, but if you had, you would have identified your part of your search is um, trying to create a life for your daughter um, that she's not even wanting, but that you're wanting for her. That is so insightful. Uh, That is so insightful. Um, I am wrestling right now with my oldest about the life I want for him versus the life that he clearly wants. Um, And the life he wants is good, but it's very different (laughs) than what I would instinctively want for him. And uh, and so I have to recognize that I could be pulling him into my search as well. Uh, Brenda, your daughter is lucky to have a mom who's aware of that. Julie writes, intention in reality. It's more expectation oriented at present. I'm world-class hard on myself and the day-to-day of unemployment and job hunting brings that out. Yeah, Julie, man. I, uh, part, part of what I'm becoming aware of is my need to be patient and to wait. Um, that so much of my doing and striving is this effort to um, not have any uncertainty uh, not have any doubts about my worthiness or the path that I've chosen, and that so much of um, of what I'm needing to learn how to do is to be patient and to wait um, and to ask for help. Um, and so, again, I'm, I'm sort of unpa- beginning to unpack that, but I resonate with that, um, that it, to exist in this middle ground, this no man's land of unemployment and job hunting can bring up all sorts of expectations and insecurities. And, uh, and learning how to be present to them rather than trying to escape them is so important. Okay, so let's get right into this week's reading, which is going to go even deeper into this idea of giving up all the things we do to create or earn a sense of worthiness. Again, I want to connect this piece of the companion book back to Lovable, so for a little context, I'm going to read an excerpt from chapter 7 of Lovable, and uh, that chapter is entitled, Why the Secret to Being Worthy is Doing Nothing. So here it is. A couple of years ago, while cleaning out the garage on an autumn afternoon, I came across three boxes of my childhood trophies. I had moved eight times since earning the last of those trophies, and I thought I'd disposed of all my childhood belongings in the process, but these had survived every move. We don't relinquish our worthiness projects easily, do we? I pulled out the trophies one at a time, reminiscing about the battles won and lost, the rungs reached and the rungs I couldn't reach. It was a tender moment, but it was also bittersweet. Those trophies didn't just represent the ladder I had climbed, they were also a reminder of the ladder I was still climbing. They were icons of a life focused on doing things to become a worthy thing. Yet on that autumn afternoon, I wanted to be done reaching for rungs. I wanted to meet myself at midfield instead. I imagined the upturned face of the six-year-old kid inside of me asking, am I worthy even when I fail? I wanted to meet that little guy with a high five. And then I wanted to take him by the shoulders, look him in the eye, and tell him he isn't his successes or his failures, his mistakes or his good fortune, his hard work or his apathy, his lucky guesses or his bad decisions, his red teeth or his gold trophies. I wanted to tell him to go brush his red teeth and then come back to midfield for another high five and a hug. On an autumn afternoon, I decided I was done trying to hide my red teeth with my gold trophies, done trying to climb out of my shame with honors and accomplishments and success, 
I decided it was time to become still again, to stop trying to become something else and to start letting myself be the someone I already am, to settle into the mystery of what I'd forgotten. So one by one, I placed each trophy in the garbage can and I made a little more space in my life, space for my light to shine through. So several of the metaphors that are intertwined with that reading um, are metaphors you have to read the whole chapter to understand. Um, but I think it gets at the idea that um, this entire first uh, really six weeks of the year of listening, loving, and living has been about beginning to relinquish the projects and the searches and all of the things that we do to try to earn a sense of worthiness. Um, and that this week, that, that, uh, that activity of, or I guess that, that task of creating a place of more stillness, of more rest, of more settling in, is culminating with this week's reading and then we're going to be moving on next week into sort of a new set of tasks so um so i think that reading gets at it and if you want to understand the metaphors more and haven't already done so feel free to pick up a copy of lovable <laughs> um all right so um so that's um that's sort of the context for what we're going to read next and now i'll go ahead and read this week's this week's reading from the companion book week six unbecoming who you are not. I once knew an artist who told me about a sculpture. He wanted to carve out of wood. He said he had a vision for it in his mind's eye. Then a week passed, and then two, and then three. I assumed he was procrastinating. Finally, when I asked him about it, he smiled and said, Kelly, I can't create what I want to create in just any block of wood. Every piece of wood has different grains and different textures. If you carve against the grain, try to force it into something it is not, you will crack the wood and ruin the sculpture. The shape of any creation is already in the wood. I just help it to become the shape that it already is. It's true of wood and it's true of people. You already are what you are becoming. Being human isn't about finding an existence worth living. It's about finding out how to live from the worthiness already existing within us. You don't build what you are. You chip away at what you are not. We are each of us like blocks of wood and becoming our true self is the gradual process of carving away the excess and steadily becoming more and more the shape of what we already are. We spend too much time trying to carve against the grain of who we are, a kind of ongoing self-rejection, a way of stubbornly insisting we aren't good enough and we need to become something different. Discovering our true self begins by trusting there is a shape buried within us and it is already good enough, lovable, and worthy. Several weeks after I asked my artist friend about his delay, I spoke with him again, and he was giddy with excitement. He told me he'd found what he thought was the right piece of wood, and he'd begun his work. He was thrilled, because he was about to watch the beauty emerge. This is my definition of grace. Grace is the delight that happens when someone, or someone with a capital S, sees us and sees the beautiful shape already residing somewhere within us. Grace doesn't necessarily change anything about us. It simply sees who we've been all along. And grace creates places of safety where we are free to carve out all our unnecessary parts, all the confusion and false starts and loneliness and self-rejection. You may be a mess, but you are also already what you are becoming. You are beautiful and you are beloved. Happy chiseling. So that's the reading for this week. It's it's shorter than most, uh, but there's a, there's a lot in there that we can unpack. Um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts and reactions to it. Uh, while you're thinking, I want to give you a personal example um, that comes to mind for me while I read this as a way to sort of start, start to get you thinking. 
Um, I resisted a reality about myself for a very long time. And, and now, now I frame the reality this way. Because uh, I, I, for a long time, I thought I needed to be super dad. Three kids, um, I thought I needed to be sort of the dad who uh, walked in the door from work and, uh, you know, got tackled by all of them and we wrestled all night and I uh, loved being with all three of them at once all the time and I, I just I had this image in my head of the dad that I needed to be. And now I say, um, I am a good dad of one kid, I am an average dad of two kids, and I am a terrible dad of three kids. Um, I am not good at being a dad with three kids in the room. It's the reality for me. I'm an introvert. Um, I'm a people pleaser. <laughs> um, so when I'm, when I'm pleasing this kid, I'm making this one upset, uh, and that bothers me. Um, I am a much better dad of one kid at a time. And so... Uh, so for a long time, I rejected that part of myself. I said, "That's you got to get better at it. You, you know, quit being who you are. Be somebody better. Be somebody different." And uh, and finally, I started to accept it. And uh, and what happened then was I started to say, "Well, you know, I'm going to figure out ways to spend time with my kids one on one." In addition to those very overwhelming moments where they're all together and all needing something and wanting something, and I'm feeling sort of like a mess inside. I'm going to create these spaces where we can can spend time together. That to me was an example of carving away this expectation I had of myself that I'd be this uh, sort of um, relaxed, engaged father in the midst of three children and instead saying, that's not who I am, so I'm going to figure out a way to be who I am. I'm going to take this kid to this concert, I'm going to take this kid out to this lunch, I'm going to take this kid to this uh, event and we'll, we'll just do fun things together one-on-one -on -one, and those will be the places where I get to be most myself as a father. So. An example that comes to mind as I think about this, um, but until I quit rejecting that, until I carved away that image of who I thought I needed to be, I really couldn't be who I was, and I couldn't be the best dad that I'm, I'm, I'm capable of being. Diana writes, outside of my husband and children, I have been guarded all my life due to the emotionally unavailable people. Learning to be seen causes anxiety because I fear rejection. I will tell you, Diana, um, that a thought that has been very comforting to me in recent years, um, as I've had the very, a very similar sort of, will there be a place that I'm seen apart from my, my wife and, and kids? Uh, um, a thought that has been comforting to me is, has been, uh, why does there, why, why does there need to be? Um, that maybe I can be grateful for having you know four people in the world who see me and that I feel like I sincerely belong to and then maybe everything else is sort of icing on the cake <laughs> and part of it is that that settling into that idea which is not was not an easy idea to accept um, has sort of freed me up to like you said there's a lot of pressure on relationships. If I feel like I need to go out there and find a sense of belonging in this relationship, well, now I start to freeze up. I start to tense up. I start to hide parts of who I am because I'm afraid of rejection because I'm, there's a lot writing on this. I need to earn your your approval and so on and so forth. But if, if, if these four people at home are enough and everything else is icing on the cake, now I just get to go out there and be me. And whoever decides that that's uh, th that they want to belong to that and whoever doesn't um, gets to decide that. Um, I'd love to say that I am able to stay in that place perfectly. Um, I'm not. Uh, my fear of rejection creeps in too and my sense of needing to 
to become somebody else to to find a place of belonging um, creeps in again as well. But I'm always, I think, at my my at my truest self and at my best self um, when I'm going. This very small place in the world that I belong is enough, and uh, I'm going to to go out into the world now, and and whatever else happens is is icing on the cake. You are also. Diana getting at this week's practice. So um, we are going to be segueing into some important questions about that that very thought. So I was I was debating whether or not to jump right into that, but we'll hold off just for a minute or two. Diana writes, how do I draw the right people by being real when I'm still discovering what is real for me? Yeah, well, Diana, I think it's a great question because the, the reality is the right people, the people you belong to, will be the ones who are okay with you being messy about figuring out who you are, right? Um, they're going to... Uh, they're going to give you all sorts of grace uh, when um, some days you're a little bit uh, hidden, a little bit scared. Uh, maybe some days you're protective. Um, they're going to say, hey, we, we sort of see who you are through all that. Um, and uh, we give you a pass. Um, you know, we, we give you permission to have a bad day. We give you permission to have a scared day. Um, and, uh, and so I think those are the people that we discover that we, we end up belonging to as the ones who, who want to be with us, even as we're in this messy process of figuring out who we are. Deb F writes, introversion is something I've struggled with my whole life. I finally come to like that about myself and in becoming more comfortable with it. Yeah, Deb, uh, that I hear you loud and clear. Uh, that has been a big piece of my self-rejection. In fact, <laughs> if I've said for years, like if someone said, what are a couple of things you would change about yourself? It'd be that I'd have a better singing voice and that I'd be an extrovert because uh, it just feels like life is easier that way. Um, and so then the reality is if we're an introvert and if we can begin to accept that and value that about ourselves, now we have to design a life that is a good fit for that. Uh, not one that allows us to never be engaged with people, but one that certainly has a space for us to, to be energized in solitude. So um, we have, but again, we have to accept that about ourselves in order to create that life rather than rejecting it and insisting that we sort of wear ourselves out with people all the time. Deb F writes, I find by being my truer self, people who gel with being okay with me are showing up. I think Deb, that's, um, and again, we're sort of anticipating uh, the weeks of loving, uh, where we're going to be focusing more on belonging. But that's exactly how this should be happening, actually. As we are uh, beginning to embrace our true self, uh, our conversation will naturally start to shift towards belonging. That's the natural progression. In fact, I love the fact that it's doing that today um, because it's, it, uh, it reflects that, that natural progression through life, that as we embrace who we are, we begin to be more okay with, number one, revealing our true self out in the world, um, but also making mistakes in doing that out in the world, right? Messing it up, making a mess of it, and realizing that the people who um, rejoice in our true self and rejoice in our sort of messy, failed attempts to reveal that uh, are the people that we belong to. And, uh, and in that sense, belonging gets a little bit easier to discover because um, it's the inner work of embracing who we are that begins to reveal our places of belonging. So I, I'm, I love that we're already starting to talk about that because that is the natural progression. Debbie writes, this is so, so timely for me. Appreciating the reminder of how important boundaries are. Remembering who truly loves and accepts me because they know me. Yes, exactly, Debbie. Uh, and and that, I mean, that, that process of learning how to set good, healthy boundaries is, is so integral to the process of discovering belonging. Um, and so as we begin you know, to discover our true self, 
we start to transition from setting scared, angry, arrogant boundaries to setting authentic and real boundaries. Um, and again, the people who can respect those boundaries are the people that we belong to, uh, right? The people you say, I can't be with you tonight. Oh, what, why? What are you doing? Nothing. I just don't have the energy to, to, to do something tonight. I think I'm just going to go to bed. And a person looks at you and says, good for you for taking care of yourself. Um, whoa, that's a person I belong to. <laughs> um, it's an authentic boundary um, and one that, that the people we belong to will respect. So um, thanks for connecting those two things, embracing who we are, beginning to set authentic boundaries, and then, uh, and then discovering who embraces those boundaries. Julie writes, Diana, something I've been looking at is how do I feel about who I am when I'm with various people? Maybe you'll find that useful. Julie, uh, thank you for adding that. You're, Julie, you're so good at adding very pithy, uh, incisive questions that sort of cut to the heart of the matter. I appreciate that about you. Um, it's a great question for all of us to be asking. How do I feel about myself <laughs> when I'm with various people? Um, another question that I ask myself um, is, um, do I walk away, as an introvert particularly, do I walk away from uh, interactions with certain people feeling more energized or more drained? Because if it's more drained, it probably means that I was having to do more uh, to present a false self. And then I have to ask the question, am I doing that because this is a person I don't feel terribly safe around? And is that my, is that my responsibility to deal with? Or is there something about this relationship that makes it less safe? Uh, so the people who I sort of discover that I'm just eager to go see, I'm eager to hang out with, um, and then I walk away energized consistently, those are the people that I know I'm mostly being able to be my true self. I'm not having to pour all this extra energy into protecting and saying the right thing and worrying about rejection, and so on and so forth. So I like that. How do I feel about who I am when I'm with various people? So we are tracking so closely with this week's exercise, I'm just going to jump right into it, okay? And so I'll read this week's exercise, and then we'll continue the discussion, which I think will flow pretty, pretty naturally from it. Week 6 practice. A friend recently told me about an interview he heard with self-help guru Tony Robbins. In the interview, Mr. Robbins said that he asked every client three questions. Number one, who did you seek to be loved by? Number two, who did you have to become in order to get that love? Number three, what parts of yourself did you have to disown to become that person? Now I'm going to read those three again right now. I'll pause the practice. I'm going to read them again for you. Um, and feel free to write them down if you're listening in. Who did you seek to be loved by? Number two, who did you have to become in order to get that love? Number three, what parts of yourself did you have to disown to become that person? You are like a block of wood made up of all the things you've done and the people you've thought you needed to be in order to be loved. Buried within that block of wood is your true self. So becoming your true self begins with carving away all the things you thought you needed to become or not become in order to be loved. Take a week to answer those three questions. Who did you seek to be loved by? For instance, a parent, a grandparent, a sibling, a friend, the in crowd, a teacher, a lover, a boss. What did you have to do to get that love? For instance, 
Stay small so others could feel big. Be a good boy or a good girl. Be an athlete. Be sexy. Be anyone except yourself. And what parts of your true self did you have to disown in order to do so? For instance, your strength, your ambition, your complicated feelings, your opinions, your tenderness. Try not to judge, filter, or resist whatever comes to mind. This may be quite difficult because what comes to mind is likely to feel really big and probably painful. There may be intense sorrow or grief that arises when you begin to glimpse the parts of you that have been buried away. You might feel angry at those people who loved you so conditionally. You might feel afraid of what these revelations will mean for your relationships, past and present. Try to be patient with yourself. Over the next several weeks, we will be practicing being present to our pain. This is an essential part of healing and becoming whole, because wholeness always exists on the other side of our pain. If you feel stuck or overwhelmed by this task, or if you don't feel like you can practice the next several weeks on your own, it is important that you seek out a friend who can walk through the exercises with you. If you do not feel comfortable asking someone you know to join you in these weeks, this may be the point to reach out to a therapist who does this kind of exercise every day. Heather writes, I purged a lot of folks during my divorce. The people who stuck around or I kept know me, the real me. It was tough going through the purge. Boy, purge is a... Um, purge doesn't, uh, doesn't dress it up, does it? Doesn't disguise it as something other than what it is, a purge. Um, our circles of belonging might have to shrink to almost nothing as we begin to realize who we are and who can accept that, who can embrace who we are and who can't. Um, that, that is, that's intense, Heather, and uh, pretty remarkable that you had the strength to, to do that. Heather writes, I sort of did this eight years ago. Rebuilding sucked and still doing it. It's nice to revisit and continue the growth. Well, Heather, I hope that what's happening here then is that we're just affirming the importance of doing it. When something's hard, I think it's helpful to have someone come alongside and say, you're doing the right thing. Keep doing it. Keep doing the work. Um, so admire your courage and, and thank you for the acknowledgement to all of us that this isn't an overnight thing. Eight years, right? Um, and, and really, truly, that is part of the message of Lovable too, is that this process of becoming, this moving through worthiness, and then to belonging, and then to, to purpose, and then probably back to wrestling with our worthiness again, is this ongoing lifelong process, that we're always in the process of refining our circles of belonging. Um, new people are coming and going, we're discovering new parts of us, um, and so this is a dynamic thing that takes time. So Heather, thank you for that permission for it to take time. Karen writes, how can extroverts best help introverts feel loved and free to express themselves in their introverted way? Oh, Karen, I just feel loved. <laughs> From this introvert, I feel loved that you asked that, <laughs> that you would think about that. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I think, I, think we're, I think we're sort of already have been talking about it, too. I mean... And I'd be curious from other introverts who are listening in, but this introvert, my gut reaction is um, is respecting our boundaries. Um, not guessing at our boundaries for us, but asking us, um, what are you needing right now? Um, do you need do you need some space? Um, would you like to get together and talk? What's you know what are you, what are you needing? Um, because I think the reality is for a lot of introverts, they, they do self-reject and they don't get good at setting their own boundaries around their own space and time and energy. Um, and so it's really, it feels, feels very 
caring as you just as just felt when you asked that to have someone um, be respectful of those and interested in those boundaries. So that's that's my reaction. I'd love to hear what other people have to say. Julie writes, have the conversation repeatedly that you as an extrovert might unwittingly have expectations for more engagement and the pleaser introvert can get sucked into it. Yeah, so talk, talk it out loud. Say, identify the script in the relationship between an introvert and an extrovert um, and become familiar with it and create space in the relationship for both of you to have these competing needs and to figure out how to, how to have them both met. Uh, one of my favorite uh, epiphanies was this is a, a number of years into my relationship with my wife, who's very much an extrovert, and I'm very much an introvert, that after we would leave a party uh, on the way home, I noticed that I would I'd sort of turn up the music, and then I'd turn it up a little bit louder, and I'd turn it up a little bit louder. And what was happening was she was leaving the party totally jazzed and wanting to talk about it and discuss it, and I was leaving it drained. And so I was turning up the music to drown her out, and she was talking over the music, and so I'd turn it up a little bit more. And I finally caught myself in this unconscious process. And so now we are able to talk about that, right? And she's able to see, even when I'm not aware I'm doing it, of ways that I'm turning up the music, or I'm able to say, hey, I'm, I'm wanting to turn up the music here. I guess I'm needing a little bit of space. Um, but it requires a, a, an intense sense of acceptance of each other, right? That each one's needs are okay and acceptable, but in, in a given moment, they may not be compatible. And how to, over time do you make sure that each, each person's needs get met? Deb F writes, three quarters of the population are extroverts, so it's kind of natural for introverts to feel less than. I now consider myself unique. Thanks. Uh, that's awesome, Deb. Yeah, and it is. It's fine to recognize that you're a minority and... Uh, um, that uh, many of us, myself included, as a as a white male, um, I don't have any experience with being a minority in very many other ways, uh, and so to um, to realize a little bit of what that experience is like, fractionally, in the context of being an introvert and why how you need to advocate for your yourself um, is important. Julia writes, keep inviting the introvert to self-daringly take time that's needed and get away from others. Yeah, self-daringly. It does feel a little bit daring. Uh, oh my gosh, will people be there when I get back? What will I miss out on? Uh, will people think I'm rude? Will people think I'm less worthy? Um, there's all sorts of stuff that can come up in that space for an introvert. And, uh, and so having people they belong to, extroverts they belong to, who say, go, go get your space. Uh, you know, my wife these days says, go. Take a night away. Go, go get it. Come back um, when, when you're feeling more well rested. That's that's huge. Debbie writes, Julie, I actually liked self-daringly. <laughs> Julie had mistyped uh, self-caringly as self-daringly. Yes, I liked it too. Uh, self-caring is self-daring. Oftentimes, let's let's uh, let's just assume those are the same thing. Deb F writes, there's possibly not one self-help I, ha I haven't read on introversion. I finally had to accept I am not weird, just different, and that's okay. So Deb, yeah, you've read all these books on self-help books about introversion, and uh, and the, the key to uh, feeling at peace with it, with it was just to accept that you're not strange, you're not weird, it's just who you are, and you can accept yourself. I love that. Um, so much gets at the spirit of these first six weeks of the weeks of listening. Debbie writes, Introvert Power by Lori Helgo is another very good book about introverts. Uh, yes, Introvert Power, um, The Introvert Advantage, I think, is a book that was was meaningful for me at one point, just in terms of accepting, like, oh, you're describing me, and there's there's a number of us out here. Okay, I, I can be me. Um, I think that that is the, that, that hopefully is the, the thrust of what happens as we read those books, as we begin to accept that, that we are who we are, we're introverts, 
and now it's okay to learn how to be that in the world. Um, we don't have to feel embarrassed of that or apologetic about that. Nancy writes, introvert here, many years of faking it socially. Good to know I'm not alone. Yep, Nancy, you are not alone. Um, that's actually, I mean, that's one of the arguments for the introvert getting out and meeting people is to discover that they're not alone, right? Otherwise, they just end up uh, being alone all the time. And um, it's good to be in relationship. And um, I have a good friend, business partner, best buddy. You know, one of the things that we enjoy about traveling together is that we're both introverts and we both feel comfortable with long spaces of silence in our in our travels and in our time together. So um, that's, a, that's a gift when you're with other introverts. Brenda writes, I may be an extrovert trying to be introverted enough for my family's sake. Brenda, thank you. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, that that's something I tried to force my wife to do for years, uh, was to be introverted for our sake, to go long periods of time with just family time, because that's how family is supposed to be. We're supposed to be together. Um, and uh, to her credit, <laughs> she didn't she didn't let me do that to her. <laughs> um, and so we, we reached a compromise, but yeah, extroverts can also feel pressure from introverts in their lives to, um, to, to limit their, their sense of, uh, social engagement and adventure. So it can work the other way as well, Brenda. Thank you for bringing that up. Deb W writes, not alone at all. Even us extroverts struggle with faking it socially since it's easy for us to, Ooh, Deb, that's good. Yeah. Um, yeah, the extroverts can, uh, feel much more comfortable in that place of like uh, sort of putting on the facade and going out and, and doing social life. It comes much more naturally. Introverts tend to actually open up quite a lot in situations where it's one-on-one -on -one and they can just talk about what's really going on inside of them. Then they get to a party where it's more small talk and they just don't know how to operate. So you're right, Deb. That's a good point. Um, extroverts struggle with faking it socially, um, maybe as much if not more than introverts. Introverts just want to check out. Uh, extroverts are sort of wired to, um, to fake it. Heather writes, what Deb said, faking it becomes a life you don't want and thus needs to be revised. You got it. And that is, if there's one outcome of this year of listening, loving, and living, it, it would be clarity about the life that your soul wants to live uh, and going through the process of revising your life so that, so that it can do so. I think that's the that's the hope and the goal here. So Heather, thanks for framing it that way so clearly. So we find ourselves talking a lot about introverts and extroverts, and uh, and maybe because it's such a such a clear example of the temptation to become somebody that we're not, right? So the questions are: Who did you seek to be loved by? What did you have to do to get that love? And what parts of your true self did you have to disown in order to do so? And many introverts, for instance, find themselves in a position of um, they seek to be loved by extroverts because extroverts make up the majority of the world. Um, what do they have to do to get that love? They have to put away all their boundaries uh, and all their need for stillness and silence and solitude. Um, and, uh, and then they have to become this person who's social and extroverted and uh, maybe even sometimes the life of the party. And so for an introvert to ask these questions, uh, it, it would be, how do I begin to make space in my life for that introverted part of myself um, to, uh, to thrive once again? Um, and how will people react to that? And how will I begin to discover the risk of doing that in my life? And how will I begin to discover the, the, the joy of that as some people embrace it? And I discover that, the, oh, those are the people that I belong to. 
Um, so to, I think that I think the introvert extrovert is a very nice sort of specific example of the way this process can work out. And I'm glad we I'm glad we spent some time there. Okay, so let's wrap up this week's discussion right there. Uh, next week, I'm going to check back in with you regarding this exercise. Uh, and any other exercises, actually, that we've practiced so far in this podcast. And then we'll get into week seven of the year of listening, loving, and living. Week seven is entitled, You Are Not Your Thoughts, You Are the Observer of Your Thoughts. Uh, What we're going to do is we're going to equip you to deal even more effectively with some of the perhaps unpleasant and uncomfortable thoughts and feelings that might arise uh, when you start to make space for this inward journey. So we'll do that next week. And until then, happy chiseling. Thanks again for joining us on The Lovable Podcast. Remember, this companion book can stand on its own, but it stands a little taller and a little stronger on the shoulders of Lovable. So if you have not picked up a copy of Lovable yet, it is available wherever books are sold, and you can get it in paperback, digital, or audio format. If you'd like to simply download a sample of Lovable, you can go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com. That's drkellyflanagan.com. In the right sidebar, Sign up to receive my blog post by email, and you will immediately receive a free sample of Lovable and a free copy of my ebook, The Marriage Manifesto. The music for the Lovable podcast is courtesy of Ellie Holcomb and is entitled Wonderfully Made from her album Red Sea Road. Until next week, friends, remember, you are lovable. <laughs>